0: Welcome to the Living Parables podcast, where we uncover spiritual truths and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all listeners tuning in the show, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode, and today we are going to do something a little bit different. And by doing so, we are going into a Bible study that would kind of seem that it's on the fly and it's raw and authentic. We haven't done this in quite some time, but I think it's appropriate sometimes just we're in the Word and we're setting something out and it's just it's nice to go over and speak with it. And so this passage of scripture that we're going to be in today is very, very powerful. It's a in a book that I plan on studying, God willing, very soon. And that is the book of Hebrews. Now we are in chapter twelve, where I mean verses one all the way down to fourteen. So all we're going to do is we're going to start with the very first verse. We're going to go just going to go all the way down to fourteen. We're going to expound it. The text and then we will be uh, done for the day. So, so with that, let's go up to Hebrews chapter twelve, verse one. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now. There's already a lot in those short amount of verses. So let's go back to the very, very beginning of Hebrews 12 and verse 1. And so what we have to understand, the great cloud of witnesses, what are we talking about? This is why sometimes it's so, I'm not going to say dangerous, but it's important to understand where you're at in the context you're in around it because you're talking about a great cloud of witnesses and you might be thinking to yourself, well, what, what is the author of Hebrews even talking about right here? Well, if you go back to chapter 11, it'll make a little more sense. So if we go back to chapter 11, and which many of us know that Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter of faith, in verse 1, actually gives us the definition of faith now faith faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen now some people have different translations the old translation i used to go with was the the NIV specifically the 1984 version which if you're going to get any of the New International Versions, uh, that is, in my opinion, one of the best translations out there. But that text says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And as it goes through this, it's talking about, you know, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Abel, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Moses. It, it goes all the way down and lists some of the uh, quote-unquote Old Testament heroes. And in doing so, it gives us faith and action working together. And at the tail end of chapter 11, it gives us really a great synopsis of Moses and Again, some of the Old Testament heroes. But all of those heroes, quote-unquote, because we can't elevate them to a place where they don't belong. But verse 39 says, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God has provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So they didn't have Christ at that point. Now, every believer through the course of history, any any true believer had the Holy Spirit. You cannot have salvation without the Holy Spirit. So, going back to Hebrews 12 now, what are we talking about? Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those are talking about the people that were all passed away in chapter 11. So that's why we have to be in context here. Okay? And those cloud of witnesses, here's what they did. Um, They gave value and blessing of living by faith. They ran the race. And so they provided godly examples, not just for the people of their times, but also for us in the future who would read them through the sacred writings of Scripture. So it's it's very, very important that we understand that we are not the first believers to ever walk this earth. And here's what they did. They laid aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. Does that mean that they... We're fully done away with sin. No, absolutely not, because one of the people that I use as an example quite a bit is David. You know where he, he lusted after Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. So again, we make the mistakes and the sin that so easily entangles, and that's and that's a big deal. Now. What does that word encumbrance mean? Because we don't hear that too often. Basically, what it means is weight. Wait. Not W A I T, W E I G H T. So as we're going about this, here's what we here's how we can read that. So going back to Hebrews 12 here. Therefore, since we have so great A cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every weight of guilt, basically, and the sin which so easily entangles us. My friends, we know what entangled means. But understand that sin prevents you from being in a right standing relationship with God. And even when you are in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is within you, and you've been regenerated and reborn, understand that that doesn't mean that you're immune to sin and its consequences. Sin still separates you from God. So if you have been uh, in disbelief in God or in some of His promises, maybe you've been doubting, maybe you've been... uh, succumbing to some temptation that has arisen back up and there are things that, you know, you're kind of ensnared in, understand that, first off, all those sins that you are committing, that's what Jesus had to die for, but also we're not supposed to go back to the way things were. That doesn't mean that we that we don't slip up, but we do everything in our power to not slip up, because I think sometimes teachers and preachers are a little too grace oriented and we're not so stern on sin and its consequences because we cannot make light sin and its consequences because in Romans chapter 6 it says here in chapter Chapter 6, verse 1 in the book of Romans, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. So we don't live in those sins. We don't practice it. We don't habitually walk in them. And that is the issue. And sin, it's not a hard thing to fall into. It says sin which so easily entangles us. Okay? So it's so easy to get tripped up stumble, but we have to pick ourselves back up. We have to keep running the race. We have to keep progressing in our sanctification. We have to keep walking with the Lord. Now, we have a faithful high priest, because if you read in Hebrews at all, we have a faithful high priest. He sympathizes with our weaknesses He's been tempted in every single way that we have, yet without sin, we don't have that same type of willpower. We're just we're just inherently flawed. But sin entangles and sin weighs us down heavy. Kind of like a millstone that's that's on you. <laughs> Lately I've been using kind of the analogy of Thor's hammer being placed on your chest. I mean, I know we're, whoa, 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 Nate, you're talking about mythology. It's, you know what I mean? I don't, we don't obviously believe in that. I'm just saying, you know, according to the movies, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's what kind of I think of when it weighs on your chest, because when you sin as an unbeliever, you don't care. You don't, you don't care. You don't answer anybody else. Who are you? Who are you to say that I can't do that? Who are you, who are you to do that to me? Yet, as believers, when we sin, the Holy Spirit is there to deeply convict us, because you're going right back into the sin that enslaved you, and and you had the the certificate of death upon you. You are literally in the death chamber. And Jesus snagged you away from that. And you're going to go right back into that? Come on now. But sin is weighty. And I'm going to tell you right now, we have to turn away from sin. We have to resist it. And when temptation rears its ugly head in our direction, although I probably shouldn't say ugly head because temptation, if it was very, very ugly, it wouldn't be temptation. So I'm kind of backtracking on that because temptation is seductive. It's appealing. It whispers gently in your ear that the, the things that you know that are wrong, but it appeals to the flesh and you start thinking, well, I mean, I remember those sins I used to commit and man, they did make me feel good. And uh, well, maybe, but no, we have a new spirit, we have a new heart that says no, so that we can. Going back to verse one here, so that we can lay that aside, that's like taking off that old, dirty clothing, okay. And then the end, the second half of verse one, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, okay. Now if you go to 1 Corinthians 9:24 in which Paul uses this example all the time in Corinthians and quite a bit in his in his writings. Now obviously we know that that's not apart from the Holy Spirit, but in 1 Corinthians 9:24, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may win. So, like I said before, and I'm going to say it again, we are going to get entangled. We are going to get into those situations that we know Jesus died for. But we keep running the race with endurance. Okay? Now, I want to read a few chapters back in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. So, again, as believers, we are called to endure to the absolute end. We abide in Christ, we abide in Christ, we, we remain in Him, we remain in Him we remain in him because that's the beauty of verse two. Listen to this, fixing our eyes on Jesus. So if we run a race of this life, of, of the new walk in Christ, if we fix our eyes on anything or anyone else other than Christ, we are going to get off track. And that is the honest truth. But it says, fixing our eyes or looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Now, the author here means leader. He is kurios. He is sovereign Lord who has exclusive ownership rights over us because why? Because we were bought and paid for at a price, And that price was his blood and his death. He bought and paid for us with his blood. And we are not our own. We are his now. He is kurios. We are doulos. We are his slave. We submit. He is the leader and the perfecter of our faith. The perfecter, sanctification. Our faith is... If, you, if you've been in the faith for any length of time, and let's say you've been a Christian for 10 years, I hope and pray that you have continually walked in the Lord to where you are not spiritual infants anymore, but you are bold men or women in Christ, mature men and women in Christ. I pray that for your sake. But there's a lot of us out there that they, we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, we fix on mysticism. We, we fix our eyes on gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. We fix our eyes on angels, which are here actually to serve us, which if you read in Hebrews, it actually talks about that. So again, we, we sometimes even focus on the creation rather than the creator, and that is the problem. But we are to fix our eyes completely on the author and perfect of our faith. That's Jesus Christ and him alone. Now, listen to this last part of verse 2, which is completely just mind-blowing. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Do you know why he endured the cross? Do you know why he considered that joy? Because of You. With Jesus, he was thinking, if I don't do this, insert your name here, we'll never get to heaven. That's why it was joy set before him. He endured the cross. So if he endured the cross, let's go back to verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, because he ran it before us. And the race he ran, the bar, he set so high, we can never attain that because we all fall short of the glory of God. We all know that. But his grace is sufficient for us because if we were at the high jump, and let's say the world record, me right now in my state, I don't know how high I can jump, I'll be really honest. There's no way. I would even come close. My head probably wouldn't even hit the bar. But that's what Jesus did. He set the bar so high, we can't... I mean, he's perfect. He's sinless. We can't attain that. But through his grace, and that's why I love Second Corinthians 5.21 so much, he made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. His grace that is sufficient for us puts us over the bar, qualifies us. So that's why we fix our eyes on Jesus and no one else alone. So he endured the cross with joy because of you, because he loves you, because he cannot wait to embrace you when you get to heaven, because he loves you that much. But he's the perfector of our faith. Okay, now let's go to the last part of that. Despising the shame, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I have to tell you this quick little story here. A few Sundays ago, I was in church, and once a month, I teach the little children in Sunday school, and I'll just say this, they're awesome, they're energetic, and I have a wide variety of age groups in there. I mean, we range from like seven, eight years old, all the way up to probably 10 or 12 around that area. So, you know, the older kids are like, okay, I'm not going to color. I'm not going to do those things. But I actually treat it as a Bible study, and sometimes, for their sake, <laughs> they have so much patience with me because I'm, I sometimes teach them like they're older kids. But I was telling them that in order to truly believe in, in God, you have to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is sinless. Jesus, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose from the dead. And then, here at the end of verse 2, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's where he is. And some of them knew those answers, which is actually very, very encouraging. It makes me very, very happy. But now, listen to verse 3. For consider him, Jesus, who had endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what's so amazing about this, as believers, we have pressures. We suffer exhaustion and some persecutions, but it pales in comparison. Let me say that again. It pales in comparison to what Jesus had to endure. It doesn't even come close. If we're going to compare battle scars, it's not even close. Now, let's look at Galatians 6, 9 here. Let us not lose heart for doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Let's look at verse 10. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Dear brothers and sisters, I know you've been burnt. I know you've been burnt by people. I know that you've even been burnt by people who claim to be in the faith. And understand this. I talked about earlier about spiritual maturity. Some people are infants. Some people are uh, young men and women. Some are fathers in the faith. Let me just say this right now. If you've been burnt in the faith, it's probably by somebody very, very immature or someone who claims to be a believer but actually is not. And I'll say this to you, we all have been burnt by somebody or some group of people. And to you, I am so sorry, and I pray for you. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to have people on your side, people that are just claiming to be your brother and sister in Christ, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. They're gone. So it's difficult. It is very difficult. But we continue running the race with endurance because we have that grace. And we pray for those who do that to us. But you know what? Jesus endured hostility by sinners. And what was their attitude? They hated him. They absolutely hated him. The world hated him. Guess what? They're going to hate us. So if we think that, well, if I show people Jesus and I live the life he called me to live, and I'm becoming more Christ-like, so therefore it's going to win them over. It's going to create hatred, bitterness, and resentment. But we still keep running that race, even people that we grow very, very close and attached to. That's why light and darkness have nothing in common. That's why we have to be so careful when we intermix ourselves with people that don't believe in Christ. We have nothing in common with them. That doesn't mean that we don't associate with them. That doesn't mean that we don't show hospitality. We don't pray for them. But that doesn't mean that we engage in the sins that we were saved from. That's the difference. Now listen to this. Now listen to verse 4. This is where it becomes a little bit challenging. We're getting kind of towards the middle-ish end of our study here, but Verse 4 says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Let me tell you something right now. And I said this just the other day in, in Bible study. We think that the things that we go through are called persecution. And I got news for you. We have absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing, (laughs) In common with some of the believers of old. Okay. We have not done that, but there are people around the world right now. And you may be in a country because by the grace of God, Living Parables has reached different ends of the earth, which is so amazing. So if you're in a country right now and there's persecutions that are happening to Christians, my prayers are with you. My, not my thoughts and prayers. My prayers are with you that God will give you the grace sufficient enough to endure what is happening to you at this moment in time. But to us that live in the States, we have not even comprehended what that is like yet. You have not been in prison for the faith. You have been in prison for the faith. By the way, the other day, this is a couple weeks ago now, there was a lady that was just outside the public square standing there praying, and then she was arrested and that was in the United Kingdom and we have listeners in the United Kingdom, so again, I'm praying for you as well, but people in the states, if you think for a second that is not coming here, uh you better wake up because it's coming, and if you're infants and spiritual i guess spiritually immature. Let me just say this to you right now. You will not survive. You have to be emboldened in the faith, rooted and established and standing firm in the faith. And some of us, I hate to say it, are extremely ignorant of what God's word says. We think that if we just pray a prayer or we think that we just wait for God to start talking to us, that that's going to be all we need for our spiritual walk in the Lord. And you cannot, you cannot, you cannot Because you need to be in his word. And we're going to find out here in just a few minutes why that's so important. But you have not resisted the point of shedding your blood for striving against sin. Jesus did. That's why he is our faithful, great high priest. He went before us. Now listen to verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. Now, again, these are in verse 5 and 6. These are both exhortations from the Old Testament. Listen to verse 5. It says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Now, we're going to shift our focus here to fatherly type of discipline. So verse 7, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Let me just say this to you right now. We are imperfect beings, are we not? I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. We all know this. Therefore, We need discipline, and that is a huge, huge subject of conversation right now. Well, should parents do this to their children? Should their parents do that to their children? And understand that human parents are not perfect by any means. I'm not a perfect parent, but I know when my children need discipline. I know what happens when they step across a line. Now, if they step across the line and I don't say anything, then they're free. They're free, raging to do whatever it is they want to do. They don't care. Oh, I can get away with this. Okay, now I'm going to try this a little bit farther. Now a little bit farther. Now a little bit farther. That's why it's it's not an easy job and privilege being a parent because you have to discipline. Listen to me, as a parent, you have to discipline. It's a must, but God deals with us as sons and daughters, and guess what? We all need discipline. because if we're not, we're illegitimate. Now listen to verse nine because he add a little more here. Furthermore, we have earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? See, if we, if we're not disciplined by the Father, we're not His because he disciplines those he loves. If he doesn't discipline you, and you're just kind of just doing whatever it is you want to do in sin, he's not your father. He's not your father, because the word convicts us. The Holy Spirit illuminates the scriptures, and it shows us, oh my goodness, that's me. That is, to- uh, that is so me. Then you repent of that and turn away from it. And sometimes there are sins that we commit that there are physical consequences that come with it. That's why we need to stay away from sin as much as possible. But talking about verse 9 here, furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Earthly fathers, listen to me now. Earthly fathers are in Christ. You are of surpassing value to your family more than you ever know. And it is your absolute honor and God-given duty to not only discipline your children, but also to be the spiritual leader of the household, because that is what God has ordained to be right and true. And so many of us, we take the back seat, and let me tell you something here. I have a deep respect for women. My wife is one of the most wonderful women I've ever known in my life. My mother is, is right in that same category. I have a deep respect for women. Do not get me wrong here, but Satan has flipped the script on what God has ordained to be right and true. But going back to earthly fathers, we discipline them at first. You know what? It didn't seem it didn't seem the greatest. Okay? It, it didn't seem that fun. Let's read 10 because it'll make a little more sense here. For they disciplined us, talking about earthly fathers, for a short time as seemed best to them. Okay, now listen earthly fathers when they discipline us sometimes it was for no reason maybe they're just having a bad day okay so to their best it wasn't maybe for our own good but here's here's the kicker but god disciplines us for our own good so that we may share his holiness are you hearing that so fathers earthly fathers will discipline their children and sometimes it will not go the greatest but God disciplines us for our very own good because he is perfect and, and his, his will, his sovereign choices. All he does is perfect and right. We don't understand that because we're imperfect. So we question God. We can't question him. We just pray, what are you trying to show me, Lord, so I can become more like you? But he does that. Why? Because that we may share in his holiness. And Listen to verse 11, because this is so true. All discipline, for the moment, seems not to be joyful. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. But sorrowful. Here it is. Yet, to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. I cannot tell you this. Maybe young fathers, maybe you're not even a father at all. Maybe you're young men or young women. But let me say something to you. I have called my dad, after becoming a father myself, And I have repented of all the sins that I committed against him. And I said, Dad, I never knew how hard it was. I never knew what sacrifices it took to raise us. And he said, i do it again in a heartbeat. But the discipline at the moment doesn't seem joyful. And I'll tell you right now, as as a father, you don't enjoy it either. But you know if you don't do it, you truly hate your children. If you don't, if you spare the rod, it says you hate your children. And you know, if you don't do it, you're not going to spur them to righteousness. That's, th- that's, the, f- that's the fruit of, of discipline and being trained by it. See, and also don't forget, it's not discipline from God as in, oh, Nate stepped out of line, I got to smash him now. No, it's discipline as in it's being trained by. We're being trained by God in righteousness. That's called sanctification, and how are we sanctified? By his holy word. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. That is how he trains us. We read the scriptures, we're broken, we repent, we turn, and we obey. Rinse and repeat. Now listen to verse 12, 13, and 14. we We're not. Maybe we're not going to go boom, boom, boom right here, but we're about ready to finish up here. Now listen to this. Okay, So we're going to go 12, 13, 14. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and knees that are feeble. That means we need to be rooted and established and built up in Christ and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Okay? Now, Listen to verse 14 for a second here. Now, because verse 14, this is the last part we're going we're to stop and finish up on because we're talking about sanctification. Listen to this. Pursue peace with all men. Now, I'm going to stop here because the last part is what we're going to finish up on, but pursue peace with all men. Now, we did a study on this not that long ago, but going back to Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Be at peace with all men. So we pursue peace and it depends on us. Blessed are the peacemakers, right? Are are we hearing me here? Blessed are the peacemakers. So what are we supposed to do here? We're supposed to be making peace with people, and that's through the gospel. And I'm telling you, We need to be peacemakers, because if we are, listen to Matthew 5.9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And we make peace with people through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the glorious gospel that we live by. But we are to pursue peace with all men. That means laying down any sense of pride that we have so that we can build peace others up. In order to do that, and we're going to go back to one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it's so powerful, okay? We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. So how do we pursue peace with all men? How do we, as as it far depends on us, to be be at peace with all men? Here it is. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. That's how we pursue peace with all men, and by producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's how we pursue peace with all men. And then now, as we ta- start to conclude, listen to the last part of verse 14. And the sanctification with that without which no one will see the Lord. So we are not to just pursue peace of all men. We're supposed to pursue sanctification. Now, why that is such a big deal? If you turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's his will for us to be sanctified, to be conformed to the image of his son, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. That's the point. So we are to pursue men with peaceful intentions. We're, We're to pursue peace with all men, but we're also to pursue sanctification. Because without sanctification, no one will see the Lord. Does that mean some people? No. Anyone. No one will see the Lord without sanctification. So if your life is not producing fruits of righteousness, if you're not producing the fruits of the Holy Spirit, if you're not in actively engaging in the Word, obeying the Word, fulfilling the Great Commission, producing those wonderful qualities found in 2 Peter chapter 1, if you are not putting on the full armor of God, if you are not loving people deeper, if you're not praying for your enemies and loving your enemies, if you're not doing those things, you're not abiding in Christ, you're not abiding in his word, you're not going to see the Lord because you are not sons and daughters of the Most High. So are you calling in to question my salvation, Nate? Uh, I'm probably doing that, yes, but I'm getting you to think because it's not okay It is not okay, and I'm going to say this one more time. It is not okay for us to become born-again believers, to get dunked in the water, and to say, okay, I'm done. I'm done. No, you're not done. Or some people, when they get older, they think that, uh, well, I, I paid my dues now, I don't do any more work. No, that's not... We are <laughs> we are being sanctified until we are glorified in heaven. Now listen to Hebrews 5.12, because this is very convicting. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Spiritual maturity is where it's at. Are you spiritually mature... Or are you still an infant? Because he had been with him for quite some time now. This isn't the first time you heard of this. You should be teachers by now, but you can't. Because this is what happens. You cannot be a Christian apart from God's word. How can you be a Christian and not be devoted to his word? You have to be devoted to his word. You have to be in it daily. Do you have to be in it daily for hours and hours and hours? No. But we are to pursue sanctification. And I'm going to say this again, and this is, it's been a couple seasons ago now, but we did a three part series on trust the process sanctification. I'm going to say it again go back and listen to it. Go back and listen to it. And every single one of these episodes is for your sanctification. Now, you can't just listen to this show and say, okay, I got my God fixing for 42 minutes, 43 minutes, however long it's gonna be. Well, I listened to the sermon on Sunday. That was like 35 minutes. So I got over an hour of God timing me. So therefore, now I can go do the sins I wanna do. Yes, grace abounds when sin abounds, yes. But we're not to pursue sin. We're not to... Continue in sin so that grace may increase, but may it never be. So what's the exhortation for today? Pursue sanctification. By the way, when the Lord disciplines you, that's also your sanctification. Because sometimes you're not doing anything. You're just sitting in idol. You're not serving him. You're not loving one another. You're not serving one another. You're not putting others above yourself. You're just You're just kind of sitting there in autopilot. What are you doing? It's time to wake up. Because the author and perfecter of our faith, he is coming and he is coming soon. Now, will he come after I I die? Maybe. I don't know. Selfishly, I want the Lord to come right now. But you know what? There are people yet to be redeemed. So what do I do? I pursue peace with all men and pursue sanctification because I want to see the Lord. Now, it's not in the acts of reading your Bible, praying, and all those things that you will see the Lord because we know that our deeds are like filthy rags of God. We know that no one is righteous, not even one. But when we are conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, when we are pursuing sanctification and we are producing the fruits of the holy spirit we're producing and bearing fruit we know that is a clear indicator that we are born again and that we are his and that should excite you and we should do it more and more and more because we give all the glory praise and honor to God and God alone so with that being said everybody keep fighting the good fight keep being rooted and established and built up in christ keep pursuing the heart of god through the word of god if you're not in the word of god get in the word of god if you're in the word of god stay in the word of god keep pursuing sanctification in the lord through his word grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ And with that being said, I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps each and every single one of you and gives you peace. And remember, everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you all.